Good evening, everyone. Merry Christmas. So here we are. Christmas 2021. Christmas is a pretty popular holiday. I don't know if you know that, but it's a really popular holiday. In this country, in the United States, um, 85% of Americans celebrate Christmas. That's a lot of people. In fact, if you look at the world, there's over 2 billion people, according to statistics, that consider Christmas the most important holiday of the year. 2 billion people, the most important holiday. That's a lot of people. Why is this? Why do we gather? Why do we sing songs? Why do we tell the same story every year after year after year? Why? Is it because of what it really means? Or is it because of what we've made it to be? I have a question for you tonight as we get ready to spend a few moments in God's word and hear the Christmas story in a different way. And my question is, what is Christmas really about? I'm not asking you what Christmas means to you. I'm asking you, what is Christmas really about? Because sometimes we forget what the holidays that we celebrate are really about. I think of the 4th of July every year. I associate the 4th of July with different things. I associate it with Independence Day. But what do I really consider when I celebrate on that day? Do I think about fireworks? Do I think about food? Do I think about a day off of work? Or do I think about the day our nation made a decision to declare its independence from the tyranny of the British monarchy so that we as a new nation could live as free men and women? That's what it's about. Or I think of Thanksgiving only a few weeks ago. We celebrated Thanksgiving. I'm sure many of you sat around a table and overate. What do you think of when you think of Thanksgiving? Do you think about turkey? Do you think about afternoon naps? Stuffing, family, football, maybe shopping the next day? Or do you remember the origins of Thanksgiving? Where the early settlers in this country gathered together and they gave thanks to God for the provision of the harvest and the blessings that sustained them across the entire year. That's what Thanksgiving is really about. Which one do we remember? Can I tell you this evening, the same applies to Christmas. That it is more, is it more about what it's become to us or what it was originally about? If you ask people what Christmas is about, they'll probably give you many different answers. Some of them may sound the same. Some of them may be a little different. Maybe some people would say Christmas is about Christ. And that's a really good start. (laughs) Christmas is about Jesus. That's what Christmas is is about. Yes, we tell the story of the birth of Jesus, but it's not just about the birth of a baby. It's not just about the birth of Jesus because there are babies born every minute of every hour of every month of every year in this world. There was something different. There was something special as Molly sang, there's something holy and different about Christmas and the birth of Jesus. Because it wasn't just about the birth of a baby. It was about the arrival of a Messiah. 
If you look back at history in the Old Testament and you look at the Jewish history of them looking and waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years, their hearts yearned for the arrival of their Messiah, which they called the Anointed One. And his goal and his purpose of coming was to deliver the people of God from their oppression. That's what the Messiah was supposed to do. That's maybe what you have heard before. Jesus came. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus came to deliver his people from oppression and deliver people from slavery. Where the world thinks it's physical slavery, God was here to show us that it's spiritual slavery. That we are stuck in sin and this world needs a rescuer. And the thing about the need for a rescuer in this world is that you and I, we can't do it ourselves. There is nothing we can do to fix the problem that we are in in this world. The brokenness, the pain, the hurt, the sorrow, the disappointment. That we hope for change, we experience good things. Of course, life has its fun moments. But when the smoke settles and everything dies down again, what is our hope placed in? What we find according to the scriptures and what we see through the Christmas miracle is that the arrival of the Messiah was the arrival of hope. This week, I spent a few moments to try to condense what Christmas actually means and explain it in a single sentence. And this is what I came up with. I said, Christmas is about God choosing to live among men, offering unending peace to all who receive him. It's not about trees. It's not about special gifts. It's not about jolly men in red suits that fly around in the air with reindeers that have red noses. Those are all fun things to talk about, right? It's not about eggnog. It's not about turkey or prime rib. And am I making you hungry yet? Yeah, right? It's not about church services. It's about God. It's not even about you and me. It's about God. God choosing to live among us. The Son of God. And he offers, when he came, he offers unending peace to all who receive him. All who receive him. Tonight's message is called Prince of Peace. We are going to look at Christmas through the lens of Jesus. Not as a baby. Not as a teacher. Not even as the Savior. We're going to look at him as the Prince of Peace. I want to spend a few moments tonight talking about that. And why we're going to look at him through the Prince of Peace, as a Prince of Peace. The prophet Isaiah actually describes the coming Messiah in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, almost 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And this is how he describes the coming Messiah. He says, For unto us a child is born, to give us a son, to us a son is given. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, look at his names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Interesting that the scripture doesn't say that he's the Prince of Justice or the Prince of Love or the Prince of Kindness. All of those things are true about his character, but he actually is the Prince of Peace and he represents the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, God Almighty. 
All things fall under his authority and he brings peace into all things. But let me ask you tonight, what does real peace look like? Because if we use the word peace, it can have many different meanings. Pastor Rob said last Sunday during his message that the biblical answer or definition of peace is rooted in the Hebrew word shalom. Because that's the word that's used in this passage. He is the prince of peace. He is the prince of shalom. And shalom speaks to completeness. It speaks to wholeness. But the thing he said that really stuck in my mind was he said that God's peace, unending peace, is not just the absence of conflict or the absence of pain, but it's about the presence of something better in its place. When we say we want peace in this world, sometimes what we're asking is for the pain to go away. And it feels better for a moment. But true peace is not just the absence of conflict or pain. It's the presence of something better. And that better is knowing and being in relationship with our creator, God Almighty. That's true peace. That's where peace begins and that's where peace ends. And it's unending. The Old Testament records over 300 prophecies that the Messiah had to fulfill in order to be considered the Messiah. And Jesus fulfilled all of them. Now I can promise you one thing tonight. We are not going to look at 300 prophecies. But I do want to look at five. I want to look at five prophecies tonight, and here's why. Because if we're going to say that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that means, as the Prince of Peace, there is a benefit to mankind. As the Prince of Peace, there is something that we can apply. Like, we can use these words every Christmas, but if we don't really understand why the prophecies are so significant to us, and why God did what he did the way that he did it, we can miss the whole point of Christmas. And hear the message and move on. So tonight we're going to look at five prophecies that Jesus fulfilled that prove he is the Messiah. And when we see the prophecies, we're going to see each one of those prophecies shows us what true peace looks like, what unending peace looks like, and how we can apply that to our lives today. So we'll look at five prophecies tonight. We'll read from the Old Testament, and we'll read from the New Testament, where the prophecy was stated and where the prophecy was fulfilled, to see how those come together, and as a result of that, what that means for you and I today in 2021. The first prophecy we're going to look at tonight that Jesus fulfilled and doing so proved he was the Messiah was that Jesus was born of a virgin. Scripture says that Jesus was born of a virgin. Why is this significant? Because the Prince of Peace makes the impossible possible. The Old Testament shows us that the birth of the Messiah would be miraculous. Though born like every other child, the woman who carried the child would be a virgin, for she would become the mother of the Son of God. In Isaiah 7, verse 14, the prophet said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. From the beginning, it was never God's plan to send a man to deliver his people. It was his plan to deliver to send his only son, and though he would step into the world as a man, his divine presence was proof that God was with mankind. Over 700 years after Isaiah's prophecy, it was fulfilled through a woman named Mary. 
In chapter 1 of Luke's Gospel, he records the event as it happened. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord Jesus will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how could this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Luke 1, 26-35 So the Holy Spirit will overshadow this 15-year-old girl named Mary. And she will become pregnant. And he will be called the Son of God. Jesus was born of a virgin. Impossible, right? Impossible. Science is amazing these days. We can do some amazing things. We can use medicine to heal sickness, right? We can clone sheep. Right? I think. Yes. We can use all of our technology to change things about life, but one thing we cannot do is create it. We can't. God creates life. And He didn't just create life through the pregnancy of a young girl, He did it in a supernatural, miraculous way. Why did he do it that way? Well, there's a few reasons for that. Remember the problem we talked about earlier, the rescue that needed to happen in this world cannot be quenched, cannot be solved by man. God never intended to send a man to rescue the world. He sent himself. He sent his son, the son of God, to fix the problem that we made. So it had to be God himself coming to deliver the people not man trying to fix it. But the application beyond this is something we can all understand if we take a moment and step back regarding the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace makes the impossible things possible. Are you ever in a circumstance where there's a mountain in front of you that feels like you'll never be able to overcome? Have you been in a place where you seem like your situation is unbeatable, that you keep going around in circles over and over again, that you're in this pit of despair, that the solution always seems greater, I'm sorry, the problem always seems greater than the solution you can bring to it, that things will never, ever change. That can create anxiety, worry, fear in our hearts. But with God, the impossible becomes possible. The peace we can have is not necessarily that our circumstances may change, because they can, but remember, it's not just the absence of pain and sorrow, it's the presence of something greater. 
Because though we may not be able to fix every circumstance, God brings rest, peace, and safety because he is the God of the impossible. Amen? This is what Christmas is about. That's what true peace is about. The Prince of Peace makes the impossible possible. The second prophecy we're going to look at tonight is that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. This was a prophecy in the Old Testament where Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the Messiah, the anointed one. In all of the places he could be born, he was born in Bethlehem. And have you ever wondered why the Bible says that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? Why would the prophets tell us over 600 years before Jesus was born that he would be born in Bethlehem? Why did it even matter? Why not Jerusalem or a well-known and inhabited city to be the birthplace of the Messiah? Why did they pick Bethlehem? Bethlehem's size and location was actually pretty insignificant at that time. And in fact, if you were from Bethlehem, you were pretty much from nowhere. So why did God send the anointed one to Bethlehem? I think it's because we have another vision and another picture of what peace looks like. The arrival of the Messiah, the arrival of Jesus, tells us that the Prince of Peace shows us that we all matter to God. We all matter to God. God didn't just tell us how Jesus would be born. He also revealed where his birth would take place. 500 years before his birth, the prophet Micah revealed his birthplace of the coming Messiah. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. After Christ's birth, King Herod gathered the chief priests and scribes to ask them where the Messiah would be born. They responded by citing the Old Testament prophecy, revealing that Christ would be born in Bethlehem. And the prophecy was fulfilled, as it was recorded in Luke chapter 2. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged and who is now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. The Prince of Peace shows us that we all matter to God. It is not an accident that Jesus was born in a place of little significance. It was intentional. See, there's something in this world that we are in danger of doing, and that is confusing size with significance. Humanly speaking, things that are more successful, that draw more people, that have greater profitability, that affect the world in a bigger way, are more valuable than other things. And though those things can make a bigger impact in some ways, there's a danger in this world. There's a danger that that same mindset applies to people, where it's not just about the things that happen in this world, it's the individual, the person that's productive, the person that has the skills, the person with the abilities, the person with the history, the person with the financial background. Those people become more valuable and they become lifted up in this world. And those that don't have that get diminished. And the beauty of Jesus' birth and coming 
to this earth in a place of no significance. The king of all kings being born in a feeding trough in a cave. I believe was one of the ways that God was telling us that every person matters. Every person is significant in God's eyes. Every person has value. Because when he was born, the angels came and declared his birth. And who did they speak it to? They didn't speak it to the rulers or the governors or the important people politically. The angels came to a bunch of lowly shepherds out in the fields with their flock. And they said, today is a beautiful day. Today in Bethlehem, a savior is born. They shared the news with the everyday person. Listen, I'm telling you this this evening because I believe in our hearts that there are things that each one of us wrestle with at different times in our lives where there's a comparison that goes on, where we look at ourselves and we compare ourselves to other people. We look at what someone else can do and we look at our lives. We look at what someone else has the the competency to accomplish and maybe where we have failed. We look at someone else's resources. We look at someone else's successes and we only focus on our failures. And in the process of that comparison, we elevate other people and we diminish ourselves. Or maybe we even look at the way we've looked at God and we think God could never love me. God could never do this. God could never bring me into his family because you don't know what I've done and how I've lived. And can I tell you this more, this evening, this is what's so beautiful about this. The Prince of Peace tells us that every person matters to God. Every one of us is equally valuable. Whether we're in the highest place, politically, financially, or we're in the very lowest place in this world, to God, all of us matter. The third prophecy that Jesus fulfilled that we're looking at tonight to prove he was the Messiah and therefore he is our Prince of Peace is that Jesus was rejected by his people. He was rejected by his people. What does this look like in terms of peace? Well, if you're looking for peace, maybe you'll find peace in knowing that the Prince of Peace understands being misunderstood. The Prince of Peace understands being misunderstood. No one wants to be rejected by anyone. And yet Jesus was rejected, not just by a few, but by his own people and the nation of Israel. In biblical times, building foundations were built from stone, starting with a single stone placed in the corner as a guide for the entire structure. The cornerstone was essential to the structure of the building and ensured that each wall would be balanced, straight, and solid. God's word tells us Jesus was sent to be the cornerstone for the world, but he would be rejected in the process. Psalm 118, 22-23 says, The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's wonderful to see. Later in Matthew's Gospel, there's a conversation in which Jesus uses David's words from Psalm 118 to remind the religious leaders who he was. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected had become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. But even in his hometown, the prophecy was confirmed as he was rejected by his own people. Matthew 13, 54 to 57 tells us, He returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, Where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. 
He is just the carpenter's son, and we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended, offended and refused to believe in him. There are a lot of things one day that I would like for people to say about me at my funeral. And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him is not one of them. And yet that was, was Jesus' life on earth. He came to save, he came to deliver, he came to heal. But he lived a life where people expected either he was going to be someone that he wasn't, meaning a physical deliverer and to establish a physical kingdom and a throne, or he was just a crazy man who made comments and statements about him being divine and the son of God that required and warranted his own death. He was understood by few. He was misunderstood by many. I'm telling you this tonight because if you're looking for unending peace, the kind of peace that only comes through knowing Christ, it's okay to be misunderstood because the Prince of Peace understands what it's like to be misunderstood. In your own personal walk, if you're a follower of Jesus, people will not understand you sometimes. They won't understand what you do and why you do it. And it may not make sense in certain times. In fact, Paul talks about this in, the, in, in uh, Corinthians. He says, for the gospel of Jesus Christ to the follower and the believer is wisdom. But to the world, you know what he calls it? Foolishness. It's absolute foolishness. It makes no sense. So you're going to be misunderstood sometimes. Not everything that God calls us to do will be understood by everyone else. But you know, it's good to know in my own life that there are things sometimes that I walk this journey out in my faith that won't make sense to other people. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. Because if you look exactly like everybody else, then maybe you don't look enough like Jesus. Maybe I don't look enough like Jesus. It's okay to look different. Just be prepared. That doesn't give us justification to be unkind and unloving and, and careless and and confrontational and arrogant. No, Jesus was a God of love and grace and, and he came to bring hope and healing and redemption to people. Those things are all good things and people all need those things. But he understands what it's like to be misunderstood. So if you feel misunderstood, you're in good company. The fourth prophecy we're going to look at tonight that Jesus fulfilled, proving he's the Messiah, is that Jesus performed miracles. Jesus performed miracles. This is important because the Prince of Peace can heal our pain. If the Messiah was sent from God, it was assumed that he would be able to perform many miracles. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet described the coming Messiah as one who would do many miracles. In Isaiah 35, 5-6 says, When he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Spring will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water wasteland. Over 700 years after Isaiah wrote those words, the prophecy was fulfilled. This is what the Apostle John said about Jesus. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the High Council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. 
And in Luke 7:21, we're told at that very time Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. Jesus performed miracles. You know, the definition of a miracle doesn't have to be large. It can be something very small. But it's just something that we are unable to do in our own strength or ability. And that's why it's a miracle. Because it's done supernaturally by a supernatural God. Amara is going to come and give a brief testimony about how God has done a miraculous work in his life and his family's life. Hey guys. Uh, just wanted to share a short testimony just uh, about how my family uh, first started coming to Bridge. And it's been about eight or nine years now, so it's like really easy to get caught up in things and kind of forget how at work God was back then and just kind of like pass it off as something that happened, something that happened by chance, by coincidence. Um, but around the holidays, I'm really reminded of how much God played a hand in you know, my entire life beginning with, well, my entire life, but specifically getting me to bridge, getting my family to bridge. And for those of you who don't know, um, the church does a program called Boxes of Love uh, where they partner with uh, local elementary schools and just get, like, these big cardboard boxes that all the kids decorate. Well, I say all the kids, a lot of adults too, but it usually looks like kids. So, <laughs> um, And, you know, they uh, fill them up with anything that... Uh, family would need um, for Christmas uh, dinner. Uh, you know, it's just like a small little act of kindness that they can then distribute through the elementary schools to families that need them. And uh, a couple years ago, that was my family uh, who needed it. And, you know, in that moment, it would have been really easy to just see it as like this this thing that just happened. Um, but my mom was determined to find out who who this church was that uh, had blessed us, um, you know, without even knowing who we were. So we visited Bridge, and, you know, flash forward a couple weeks, we were finally calling Bridge home. We felt like we had found a family in the community here uh, that I just really would not give up for the world. Um, but all that to say, it was a, it's a cardboard box with a bunch of cans that a bunch of you guys brought in. And it's really easy to look at that and just consider it super small, but God used that. It wasn't just like about easing my mother's mind about what she's going to do for, for Christmas dinner that night, uh, that year. It was about, hey, Amar's salvation. It was about, hey, Amar's going to come to this church and get all these amazing opportunities to go and minister to other people, go on awesome missions trips, it was about, you know, connecting me to a community. Uh, so if, I, if that could just be, like, encouraging to some of you, you know, God can use whatever, no matter how small and insignificant it may seem, for a greater purpose than any of us could ever imagine. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's just a great time of year to reflect on that and be thankful. Merry Christmas. That's the beauty of a miracle. God can use anything and anyone to take something that man is unable to do. But for God, the impossible becomes possible and he brings healing and hope to our lives. The miracle doesn't have to be huge. It can be something small. And it's simply through obedience 
that we allow God to work. A few weeks ago, during one of our series uh, messages in the book of Acts, we talked about courage. And we talked about how if we focus on being courageous, that's all about us doing better. But if we focus on being obedient to what God asks us to do, then we give God a place to show us his miraculous power. All we did was put boxes together, fed some families. And you know, I remember nine years ago, I remember nine years ago standing here on this stage talking about boxes of love the week after we delivered all the boxes. And I said, and if one person, if we don't even see one person ever come through the doors of our church because of what we're doing, we're still going to continue to be obedient and love our community in this very practical way. Even if no one ever comes through the doors of our church. And that was on a Sunday. And the very next morning, Amar's mom walked through the doors of our church to figure out who this church was that gave them a lunch or a dinner meal. And I felt like God graciously took a wiffle ball bat and whacked it at my head. And he said, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? All I'm asking you to do is be obedient. The miracle doesn't come from what you do. The miracle comes from me through your obedience. If you're looking for peace, know that Jesus is the one who heals. Jesus is the one who changes our lives. He is the one, if we're physically, emotionally, or spiritually weak, If we desperately need a touch and hope from God, there is peace today because he is the one that offers peace. It's not what man can do. It's about what God does. He's the one worth trusting and following. The fifth prophecy we're going to talk about tonight, the fifth and last, and I believe it's the most significant one tonight to talk about, about why Jesus proved he was the Messiah through the prophecy And as a result, he's the prince of peace, is that Jesus suffered with and for sinners. He suffered with and he suffered for sinners. What does this mean in terms of God being the prince of peace or Jesus being the prince of peace? It means he came to die so that you and I may live. He suffered with and he suffered for so that you and I may live. There are many prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in order to prove he was the promised Messiah. In fact, there are more than 300 prophecies Jesus fulfilled with 100% accuracy. Perhaps the, perhaps the greatest of them all was that his purpose is coming was to suffer and die in order to pay the penalty for our sin. The prophecy about the suffering Messiah is found in Isaiah 53, 3-5. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression, he was crushed for our Iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The prophecy of a Messiah that would suffer for the people was fulfilled and recorded in every gospel of the New Testament. Matthew tells us the people demanded Jesus be crucified instead of a known criminal named Barabbas. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! Mark said that Jesus was mocked, beaten, and humiliated. Luke records that Jesus was crucified between two criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. 
And John wrote that before Jesus died and gave up his spirit, he said, It is finished. All of this happened in order to fulfill the prophecy that the Messiah would bring true freedom to all who were captives and oppressed by the curse of sin. He is the Prince of Peace. He came. He chose to die so that you and I may live. He came and chose to die so that you and I may live. I think the greatest example of what true peace looks like, unending peace, is that after this world, there is something greater and better. There is a promise of knowing the creator today and knowing him forever. That's what real peace is, that we can begin knowing God today and we can know God forever. And I don't mean know God in our head. Religion's really good at telling us we have to go through the motions and punch a time clock or a stamp a, stamp a card to do our, our work, that God may honor our work. But salvation's not given to us through our works. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace we are saved. Through what? Faith. And verse 9 says, And this not from ourselves, it is a gift of God, not given by works, so that no man may boast. This is the gift that God gives us, salvation to all who choose to receive him. Salvation to all who choose to follow him. Because the world that needs the rescuer can only find that hope through Jesus Christ. Mankind will never be able to rescue the world and the problem of sin will always be here. Aside from what Jesus has done. Scripture says that he was born. But you know, the miracle of his birth is not where it stopped. It wasn't just that Jesus was born. It was that Jesus died. And by dying and being raised to the life again, he defeated the power of sin so that you and I can be freed from the oppression of slavery. Spiritual slavery, that is what Messiah came to do. To free us from this brokenness. To free us from the world where everybody says they have the answer or they can find the answer. And if you nominate them or vote for them or give them enough money, we can figure out how to fix all this brokenness. You know what I've found in the 48 years I've been around? It doesn't change much. The same problems that existed 48 years ago still exist today. Crime, sin, abandonment, abuse, trauma. It's all still here. It was here a hundred years ago. It was here a thousand years ago. It was here since the beginning of creation from when the fall happened. How can we fix it? We fix it by putting our faith and our trust in the Prince of Peace who laid his life down for you and for me so that we may live. This is the beauty of this. If you're looking for or you want another example to just see how powerful God's unending peace is, listen to this story. From July 28, 1914 to November 11, 1918, was World War I. Some of you know and have a little history and understand World War I. This was a global war, and it involved Russia, most of Europe, the United States, Turkey, and most of it was fought in the Middle East, Africa, and some parts of Asia. What you may not know about World War I is that by the end of the war, 20 million people died. And 21 million people were injured. But something happened in World War I on December 25th, 
1914. It actually started on Christmas Eve. And today it's called the Christmas Truce of 1914. Starting on Christmas Eve, many German and British troops fighting in World War I sang Christmas carols to each other across the lines. And at certain points, the Allied soldiers even heard brass bands joining the Germans in their joyous singing. At the first light of dawn on Christmas Day, some German soldiers emerged from their trenches and approached the Allied lines across no man's land, calling out Merry Christmas in their enemy's native tongue. At first, the Allied soldiers feared it was a trick, but seeing the Germans unarmed, they climbed out of their trenches and shook hands with the enemy soldiers. The men exchanged presents of cigarettes and plum puddings, and even sang carols and songs. Some Germans lit Christmas trees around their trenches, and there was even a documented case of soldiers from opposing sides playing a good-natured game of soccer in the middle of a war that would take the lives of 20 million people. Peace was found because they took their eyes off of themselves and they put their eyes on Jesus. And the Prince of Peace levels the playing field and brings peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. If you're looking for a solution tonight to the mess or the frustration or the anxiety or the identities that you struggle with, can I tell you, there are good resources that may give you some things to think about. Good counselors that can help you work through some things. They're all important. But nothing gives the kind of peace that only comes through knowing Jesus Christ. Because he came to give unending peace to the world. And that's why we celebrate him during Christmas. Do you know him tonight? Have you made a decision to follow him as your Lord and Savior? Have you chosen that? Because if you have, you know the peace I'm talking about. And God has more for it as we continue to walk. In a few moments, we're going to light our candles and sing some Christmas carols. And one of the songs we're going to sing tonight is one of the same songs that was sang on December 24th, 1914, as both sides of the armies stood up and they sang in their own native tongues, Silent Night, Holy Night. All is calm, all is bright. Round young virgin, mother and child, holy infant, tender and mild, Sleep in heavenly peace. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you today, and I want to thank you for the opportunity we had to come together during this Christmas service to be mindful, Lord, of the gift of Jesus Christ, the birth of a Savior, Lord, that he brings peace, hope, healing, comfort. All of those things are true, Lord, but he brings salvation to a dying world. Father, as we light these candles tonight and we sing these songs, may your presence speak to us and may we draw closer to you tonight like we never have before. May your presence fill this place and may you fill us with your unending peace. In Jesus' name we pray.